Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. It was the year 1519 and Spanish conquistador Hernando Cortez, try saying that fast a few times, left the shores of Spain with 600 men in pursuit of the shores of Mexico in order to go there and take from the Aztec Empire a gold treasure trove that had been kept uh, in, in sacred trust for over 600 years. Hernando Cortez must have somehow been a visionary that could cast great vision because he convinced the king of Spain to be able to take 11 ships filled with those 600 men and all the provisions needed to make the four-month journey across the treacherous seas to arrive in Mexico to go up the Yucatan River and put their feet on the shores. And as he stands on the shores, he says to his men, in probably one of the most inspirational but perspirational speeches you'll ever hear, he says, burn the ships. And as one of the men steps forward to say, well, well uh, hang on, sir, what? And he pulls out his musket, shoots him. Now there's 599 men with him. He says, burn the ships. So hurriedly they go and they set fire to the ships. And he says these famous words, he says, if we're going to go home in anyone's ships, we're taking the ships of the Mexicans. That's the only way we get home from here. There's something powerful about the idea of burning the ships. Somehow or other, Cortez felt like there was a greatness inside him that was yet to be realized. He couldn't do it alone, but he knew there was a treasure that if he could get his hands on this treasure, it would advance him from being just a lesser noble within the courts of Spain to becoming one of the great nobles and maybe even being given provinces or lands to look over. And so he uses his ability to convince the country of Spain that this 600-year treasure could actually become Spain's if they were to make the right approach and do the right things. And so he goes on the journey. When he says to his band of troops, burn the ships, he's now eliminated all other directions except forward. There is no way back from that point. As they're standing on the beach and they're watching all of the, 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 the actual transportation that got them there that had been their home for four months, maybe even months before that as they'd packed it and thought about the journey and worked out, they slept in it, they'd eaten in it, they'd sort of manned the whole thing. As they watched it disintegrate and fall into the ocean, they had no fallback position, the option of retreat was gone, there was no plan B. The funny thing about having no plan B is something happens to your capacity to commit when there's no plan B. Something happens to the strength 
and the potency of the vision that you're carrying when there is no plan B. And the one that I love the most is something happens to your creative problem-solving ability when there's no plan B. You must move forward and therefore you must work out the only way to move forward. Today I have a message for someone to encourage you, I believe. In fact, I believe today's message is not just personal, although I think there'll be people today, this is for you. I'm convinced, but I actually think there's a prophetic voice in this message today. may not be my words, but I think there's a spiritual voice in this for our church. It's time to burn the ships. And this is the message. The things that lie ahead are far greater than the events of our past. But we won't enter the greater things by listening to the voice of our past or living in the memories of our past. We must burn our ships. The Apostle Paul was a a lot like Hernando Cortez. He was a man that his whole life was about burning the ships of his past. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He studied at the feet of Gamaliel. He was someone who knew the law. He was a Jew who loved God. Even though he persecuted the early church, and he's known for that, you know, remember why he was doing that. He was doing it because he was defending the faith. He was defending what he felt was a cult, an uprising that was coming against the the, the living God, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that had trying to be this upstart that had risen itself up. And there were thousands and thousands of Jews pouring into this cult. And so he, in his vehemence, in his theological righteousness, says it can't happen this way. In fact, as a Pharisee, they, they, they wouldn't have taken this, this course. And so he, he comes across from the Pharisees to the Sadducees who, who weren't against a little bit of violence to get the point across. And so a, even acting as a with the Sadducees, he then starts to raid the homes of Christians and drag them out on the streets and stone them. In fact, you know, he's, he's, the, he's there at the first ever martyring of a Christian, Stephen, holding the cloaks. Paul is passionate. Paul has influence. He has affluence. He's got a place in his society. He is intelligent. He is politically savvy. He is a a good thinker, articulator. Don't think for one minute that Paul didn't have a life before Jesus. He did. He was passionate about that life. But as he goes on the road to Damascus and, and the, he encounters Jesus and a bright light shines from heaven and hits him and knocks him off his horse. And as he's lying on the ground, a voice from heaven says, why are you persecuting me? Now, Paul's a good Jew. He knows Deuteronomy 28. He knows that Deuteronomy 28 has blessing and cursing in it. The blessing says, if you will obey the voice of the Lord your God and obey his commandments, blessed would you be in the city and the country and in your comings and your goings and your family and your livestock and your grain and all that. You can read it. It's about 15 or 16 verses of blessing. And then it says, but if you don't obey the voice of the Lord your God, cursed shall you be 
And then there's another 15 verses of the curses. And by verse 28, this is one of the curses. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of heart. So here's Paul on the quest of God who gets knocked off his horse. Here's the voice of the Lord speak to him saying, I'm going to strike you blind. You're going to be blind for three days. And as he's blind, as he's doubting his own identity and goes into the city of Damascus, he is a man in peril. His identity is completely distorted now. Who am I? Who am I? Is resonating inside Paul's head and heart. Paul's entire journey was about him coming to grips with that question. Who am I? Because if Jesus, the one who I am persecuting, is actually who he says he is, then everything I've lived for to this point needs to be completely changed, dramatically revolutionized from what I thought. The ground I was standing on, I am no longer standing on. I don't know whether you've ever been there before, whether all that you knew was true is now gone. All that you thought was right is now gone. And you've had a confrontation that has caused you to doubt even the very fabric of who you are. That was Paul's experience. And so he writes in Philippians 3 in verse 8. And we're going to read a little bit of scripture from Paul today because he can tell us a little bit about what it means to burn the ships. Philippians 3 verse 8. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. It wasn't an understatement. And count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. And count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. And then he says later on in the same chapter, Philippians 3 verse 13, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Famous, famous words of, of, of Paul that come out of great discontentment. You see, all of us have got those things which are behind. As you sit here today, you are a person with a past. You have things that have gone on before. And all of us that sit here today, you have things that lie ahead. And the message I want you to grab today is that we're either controlled by the things that are behind or we are living in the awe and faith of the things that lie ahead. And where are you today? Where are you today? The voice of the things behind us need to be silenced. They won't help us. They won't unlock things that only faith can unlock. And our vision for the greater things which lie ahead must come alive. You see, there's a principle in God that says that what lies ahead is always greater. What lies ahead is always greater. Even if today the challenges that I face or you face means that I would pass from this life to the next life, as hard as that would be, as tragic as that would be, can I tell you what lies ahead is far greater? What lies ahead is far greater. 
There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. So what lies ahead is far greater. It's always greater. In God, it's always greater as you move forward in him. Now, whether it feels greater to you, that's a different question. But God's plans for you are always greater. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man. Think about that nor has entered into the heart of man. I've seen some pretty fantastic things that have entered into the heart of man. The creative things that you see that our world is capable of dreaming up and doing. Crazy, creative, way out there, amazing. Things that you go and see it, you visit it, you get involved with it, you think, I can't believe how incredible this is. And yet, Paul is saying, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Prepared, future tense, future tense. Can I say this to you throughout all of eternity, God is preparing a new place for you. Even when you get to eternity, what is ahead of you will be greater than what is behind you. Because God is eternal, he is bigger and greater. We will search God for the rest of eternity and not get to the end of him. Which means we will always be living in awe and wonder of what is before us. Imagine that. It's not like we're going to get to heaven and like Disneyland, once you've done it, you've done it. Oh, I've done that. Oh, heaven was good. That was all lovely. Thank you, Jesus. What's next? I've done on all the rides. I've eaten all the fairy floss. I've got myself a sugar headache. Experienced vertigo. Vomited in the bush. Done. I'm never going back to that again. <laughs> no. Heaven. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard what God has prepared. I want to say this right at the start, though. I know there'll be pain and discomfort in people's present story. I don't want to gloss over that. I don't want, as we move forward and speak about the things of faith, I understand humanly as a pastor who walks with people through times of great pain and discomfort. I am sorry for that pain and discomfort for you. If right now the life that you live, the past that you've come out of has been painful, discomforting. There is mental pain, emotional pain, physical pain. I wish that wasn't true. I wish it wasn't true. But no matter how much empathy I offer or anybody else offers, no matter how much care that we offer, and we will, and we do, it doesn't change the fact that God, by faith, in the Spirit, has another reality that sits over and above your current reality. And we must receive that as Christians. We must understand that that is what faith is about. Faith is reaching into an unseen realm and taking what is unseen and laying hold of it in our hearts and saying, God, I will take that for myself. And so it is a denying of what is now so that we can lay hold of what is to come. Both in the immediate to come and in the future to come. If this morning you can open your heart, God is calling you into a new place, a new place of faith, a new anointing, a new ministry, a new opportunity, new open doors. The song of the past does not need to keep playing the song of the future, if you will hear it from God and tune in, God has something for you.
Cortez burnt 11 ships to lay hold of his treasure, which, by the way, he did. Three years later, um, having burnt 11 ships, him and his men, through a series of a whole bunch of things, it's worth reading, he actually took hold of that treasure from the Aztecs. Now, I'm not arguing it was a good idea or a bad idea. He should have or he shouldn't have done it. That's uh, for others to say. But needless to say, it was a great effort. It was a great achievement in one sense. He burned 11 ships. This morning, I want to talk about two ships that I think we've got to burn. I think it's two ships that God asks us to burn as we lay hold of the thing that he has in our future. The first ship is to burn the voice of our past. To burn the voice of our past. Cortez was a man of lesser nobility, the history books say. He had a place in society, but not a significant place, but he was a man of ambition. He desired greater affluence in the court of Spain. Somehow he managed to vision cast the king of Spain to give him all of those resources. And he goes and does the four-month journey and arrives in Mexico. But as he stood on the shores of Mexico with Spain a long, long, long way away, he had a decision to make. Here's the facts. His Spanish nobility would not matter anymore. It may have got him to the shores of Mexico. It may have got the goods, the provisions, the ships. It may have kept his troops quiet as they were going across some treacherous seas, prevented a mutiny. He may have had that authority and power, but now that he's sitting on the shores of Mexico, it is irrelevant that he is of nobility. The Mexicans are not going to bow down to him. His power and rank is irrelevant. The Spanish provisions that were in the ships would eventually run out. The memory of Spain would eventually drift away. Spain had got him so far, but it was not going to get him anywhere in his future. So he burnt the ships. He needed the past to die. The voice of the past would only remind him of what he was in that context, who he was in that context, the authority and power he had in that context, but not who he was going to be. The voice of the past would only give him a reminder of the comforts and the familiarity that he's left behind, but it wouldn't give him any sense of what lay ahead. The voice of the past would be the voice of reason that would continue to say, this is too risky, this is too hard. Look at what you've done, look how far it is you have to go. See, the Bible says to count the cost, but can I say to you this morning, you don't keep counting the cost. You need to count the cost. It's a good, wise thing to do, prayerfully. Sit with God, count the cost. But can I tell you, once you've counted the cost and you make the decision, you burn the ship. That's it. You're in. You're in. Counting the cost over and over and over again is only going to fill you with regret. Looking back. Looking back, what have I left behind? What's going on? And the cost of the comparison of where you are for where you've come from will be debilitating to faith. Paul understood this too. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, and we know the last part of this quite well, but, but tune into this front section of this verse. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died, one capital O, for Jesus, 
If one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, hear this bit, we regard no one according to the flesh. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. See, Paul knew this, that the voice of your flesh speaks to you. There is a flesh, there is a voice in your flesh that will speak to you and it will remind you of three things. Firstly, it will remind you, it will bind you and it will confine you. The voice of your flesh will remind you, it will bind you, it will confine you. One, it will remind you and make you keep looking back. It will remind you where you've been, where you've come from, what the issues were, what the circumstances were, what the people said, what the circumstances were. He said, she said. I remember it all in vivid detail. Do you? If you keep holding on to that, it'll keep you bound to it. The second thing, it will bind you. Bind you in what way? It keeps you fighting the past. If you're focusing on it, you're fighting it. You're dealing with it. You're addressing it. Yet mentally, it's going on in your head. You're carrying the past into the future. You can't do it. It keeps dragging you back, binding you back to where you were before. And thirdly, it will confine you. Why? It wants to tell you to stay small, to be intimidated by the possibility of change. Who do you think you are? Why on earth would you imagine things could change? I mean, you're, this is how your siblings lived, this is what your dad used to do, this is who your grandfather was, this is who your great-grandfather was, who the heck are you? Why would you think it would change? Go back into your box, stop being such a fancy pants. Don't be a tall poppy. Get back where you were. And so in intimidation, we listen to the voice and it holds us in the past. But Paul realized this, that your past died in Christ. It's why he said, those who live should live no longer for themselves. And that's why we regard no one according to the flesh. Why? Because in the flesh, they're the things you did. They're the things you thought. They're the actions you took. The regrets that you made, the mistakes that you made, it was all happened in the flesh. But he said this, if one died, then one died for all. See, if your flesh is dead, then it's dead. There's no point looking back at a dead corpse. And can I say this to you? A dead corpse can't talk to you. It's dead. There is no voice in a dead corpse. And so Paul says, reckon yourself to that truth. Realize it's dead. He knew what he was talking about. He burnt the ship of the past. He said, all of my past for all it was, I count it as rubbish. The big statements dead old things have passed away all things have become new I want to hear the voice that comes out of the all things that have become new I know you want to hear the voice that comes out of the all things that have become new let me hear that voice 
That's the voice that will propel me into my future. You too. The second ship to burn is the option of retreat. And Cortez arrived on the shores of Mexico. He had already achieved a lot. Let's not take it away from him. It's a huge achievement just to get there. He had envisioned the king who'd given him all the money he needed. He'd envisioned 600 men and their families. That's a big deal. He'd somehow acquired 11 ships and all the provisions for four months. I go caravanning for two weeks. There's a lot of provisions for two weeks. Good stuff and useless stuff that we take every single time. I don't know what it would be like to actually pack a ship for four months, but I reckon it would be a fair job. He'd done it all. They'd sailed treacherous seas. He'd probably faced a bunch of different circumstances, both natural, climate, ocean, within his men, sickness, the lot. He arrives in Mexico. But when he arrives, here's the thing for you to get. He's no longer a lesser noble in the courts of Spain, but he's no longer, he's not a treasure owner either. He is not a lesser noble, but he's not a treasure owner, which means he's in the middle. He actually has nothing. He's achieved so much to get to the point of zero. Ever felt like that? Ever felt like that as you pursued a dream? You've actually overcome many, many, many obstacles. As I look around and I see different ones and different faces and I know something of your story, there's many of you here. You've faced many things. You've, you've jumped many obstacles and you've got to the point where you actually arrived at zero. And you look at zero and you go, woohoo. When you kill the voices of your past, you come to a place of transition. And retreat becomes a temptation. It's very tempting to retreat in the place of transition. Very tempting. Because you remember the hearth fires of yesterday. That's what you carry. Your aspiration for the future is only aspirational, but you don't know what that feels like. But you know that's where you need to go. And you're in the middle. If that's you today, can I encourage you? I reckon we saw a picture of this in Jesus in Gethsemane. I, I, don't, I couldn't possibly put into words, nor I think could any human, what the Son of God faced as he was in Gethsemane. But as I imagine the story, I see him, you know, he, I've been anxious and I've been uh, upset in my life many times, but never to the point that blood has come out of my skin. But Jesus has got sweat, blood is coming out of him as he's standing in the place of transition. He has come from heaven to earth. He has walked on earth, but he has not yet gone to the cross. He has not yet been resurrected, sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's not yet to take into his glory all of the kingdom that God the Father is about to give him. And he's in the middle and he's standing in the place of transition right now. And in his heart, he prays the prayer of retreat. He says, God, if this cup could pass from me. That's as close as the Son of God got to retreat. But he prayed the prayer. It gives me heart. He prayed the prayer. God, could we just go back to the way it was? God, could we do it another way? 
There's something in the human cry of the Lord's heart that I hear. And I'm so glad the scripture writers put it in there because it encourages you. I go, God, I prayed that prayer (laughs) too many times. And Jesus, of course, resolves it with God. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Puts his hand in the Father's and he walks to the cross. The place of transition. Retreat is a return to the place of safety and comfort. It's a move away from the challenge of conquest and back to the familiar place. And sometimes the familiar place feels like home. It may not be a good place. Your familiar place may not be good, but it's what you know. Your familiar place might be a painful place, but it's familiar pain. So I'll I'll, I'll take that over the unfamiliar future. It may even be a broken place, but even our brokenness can feel like a friend sometimes. We may not like the place of retreat, but at least we know who we are and where we are. The option of retreat is our fallback position. It's our common sense safety net. It's our plan B. But can I say this? The option of retreat weakens your faith to stand in the present. The option of retreat, just having the option, weakens your faith to stand right now in the place of transition. Pioneering new ground is uncomfortable. It'll put you in the place of transition, the place of in-between, the place of yes, but not yet. The place where I could go forward, but equally I could go back. You know, in all of our lives, there's a time to sail the ships, and then there's a time to burn the ships. Because not every ship's a bad ship. The ships that got Cortez to the shore, they're good ships. They made it. Nothing wrong with them. Probably some of the best that money could buy. Good ships. Your career, your ministry role, your position, your reputation. Nothing wrong with some of those things. But I'll guarantee there are people here this morning and you say, that's the ship I've sailed, but I know for me to go into my future, I cannot sail that ship any further. I've come as far as I can go. Of course, sometimes the ship is painful. Sometimes the ship is discomfort. It's dysfunction. It's a circumstantial past that you'd rather forget. It's things that you've done that you'd rather see go away. It's easy to imagine we should burn that ship, but somehow or other it just keeps following us. There is a time to sail the ship, but there is a time if you really want to lay hold of what God has for you in the future, you need to burn the ship. And I think this is part of the prophetic voice for Gateway today. I'm not saying when I say burn the ships of the past that we should go to a place that doesn't have honor in it. We should honor the past, of course. We should learn from the past, of course. We should thank God for the blessings of the past, of course. But we cannot be controlled or defined by that past. And there's such an important difference. There's a stance of humility that says, God, thank you for where we are today. God, thank you for all you've done. And by looking back, and it's the only time Scripture says to look back, you look back in order to remind yourself of the faithfulness of God. 
but looking back outside of that is of no benefit to you. We look forward then into the uncharted territory. And I think that's where we are as a church. God has blessed this church. He has healed this church. God has put inside this church a vision. He's brought people and ministries and leaders and volunteers and families. And he's, he's brought all of us here for a purpose. Not one of us is here by accident. And we've sailed the ship to the shore together. The Lord has directed and navigated our path. And we sit on this shore now. And we say, God, but what do you want us to do now? And I think we're at a place where he says, burn the ships. Burn the ships. Remember the past, honor the past, learn from the past, but burn the ships now. It's time to move forward. How do you do multi-campus? Do we really know? We're learning every day. Learning every day. Why is that important? Because God has said to us in our heart, there is a lost in this city and someone needs to reach them. Are we the only church that should try? No, many should. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't. We should join with everyone else that is trying and try. What does it cost? I don't know. I care about what it costs, but in the end, will it matter? God, could we stand before him at the end of our lives and say, God, we gave everything we had. We gave everything. We did what you asked us to do. As you got ready for the great harvest of this nation, God, we were positioned to do our best for that harvest. That was the cry of my heart. God, could that happen? Could we be that people? And it won't take one person, one leader. It'll take thousands of us to do it. And hopefully the little bit that we do sparks a fire in other hearts, in other churches. We can learn from each other. We can go together. But one thing is for sure, the ship that we've sailed has got us to the shores now we need a new future. And God is helping us to find that and shape it as we trust him. Paul transferred through this same place also. When he left the ranks of the Pharisees, he wasn't a Jew anymore. In his heart, I'm sure he was a Jew, actually. But he, wasn't, he didn't belong anymore with them. In fact, they wanted to kill him, really. Spent the rest of his life running from them. And in the end, they caught up with him and took his head off. So they didn't really want him. And it took him about 15 or 16 years for the Christians to want him too, because they didn't really know where he was coming from. And he wanted to reach the Gentiles. And the Jews didn't have a box for that in their head. They knew that it was a promise from Abraham, but how did that look? And Paul came and pulled it together, and he went and did what he did. And it's not time to unpack Paul right now, but what an amazing man. What an amazing future that he brought us as a church. It's why he wrote in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. When we accept the vision that God has for us, it takes us to uncharted territory. We've never been there before. It requires faith. The sight that we've got can only bring back the memories that we've seen. We have to shift our goggles. It's a new set of pictures. The eyes are taking in a whole new thing. Not the stuff we've seen in the past, but the eyes of faith that see the future. And that becomes the new story that we start to move towards. Faith helps you dig your heels in when times get tough. And if you burnt your ship, you can only move forward. 
Faith helps you build a new set of navigational instruments. And as we learn to read those instruments, we learn to be guided by him into the new territories he takes us. Folks, that's for us personally. That's for us personally. That's what God wants to do for you personally. He wants to guide you into new territory. He wants to whisper inside you a new thing. I heard this statement this week and it's just been on my heart this whole week. I prayed it over this church, prayed it over myself, my family. It says this, imagine if you could do today without any reference to yesterday. Imagine if you could do today without any reference to yesterday. Now don't overthink this for a minute. I'm not saying there's not knowledge of the past and wisdom that we build on and you know the Bible talks about faith to faith to faith. Don't overthink that. What I mean is I have things in my past that try and anchor me and try and talk to me and convince me I'm not capable of my future. What would it be like to live a day where that voice never talked to me anymore? What would my courage look like? What would my faith look like? What would your boldness look like to take hold of the things of God if you never, you couldn't hear the voice of yesterday speaking to you? It inspired me to think about what that might be like to live in that place. Sheer and complete and utter surrender and abandonment to God. God, that you'd help us do it. Can we pray this morning? Father, I thank you for your incredible grace to us. God, we stand here, we sit here before you because of your grace. God, you have brought us from somewhere. You found us somewhere. You rescued us from somewhere. Your kindness leads us to a place of repentance and knowing of you. God, we can't come to you without that you come find us. Thank you for that. But Father, as we do now, you, you don't just dust us off and clean us up so that we can look in the mirror and be happy. God, you do it so that we could become people of faith that do something for you in the kingdom of God. God, that we become useful tools in the hand of the master. God, would you help us, God, to be people that would dare to believe that the story that is ahead of us is greater than the story that brought us here. God, would you help us find that faith? Would you, God, would you come and, and walk in the pain that we feel that we could hear that voice and be inspired to reach for you? Father, would you help each one of us today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and everybody who walks through our doors is welcome. If you'd like to connect with us, please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au to find out more.